Sirah, a biography of Muhammad, the last messenger of Allah, written by Professor Dr. Safwat Khalilovich. Chapter 36 Hijra, Migration to Medina Preaching Islam to tribes beyond Mecca in the month of Dhulqadah of the tenth year of the prophethood, that is, in late June or early July, 619 CE, Muhammad, peace be upon him, entered Mecca, having returned from Taif without success. The citizens of Taif, who came from the tribe of Thaqif, rejected the Prophet's invitation to Islam in an extremely rude manner and even mistreated him physically. That, however, did not prevent the Prophet from continuing his mission of calling to Islam. This time he decided to present Islam to the tribes that used to make the annual pilgrimage to the Kaaba in Mecca. The pilgrimage season was on its way and people arrived on exhausted camels from different places in the Arabian Peninsula into land. The Prophet used that opportunity to visit the Arab tribes, encampments and call them to Islam. He told them he was sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and asked them to trust him and take him under their protection until he explained to them the mission that the exalted Allah charged him with. Ibn Hisham transmits in his sirah from Rabia ibn Abbad. It was a little boy and I was with my father in Mina, the messenger of Allah would stand at the place where the Arab tribes descended and say, O sons of such and such, I am a messenger sent to you by God. He orders you to worship him alone and not associate anything with him, to renounce worshipping these idols and to believe me and grant me protection until I make plain to you the purpose with which Allah has sent me. He was followed by a well-dressed man with a squint and two braids, wearing an Eden cloak. When God's messenger, peace be upon him, would finish his speech, that man would step in. O sons of such and such, this man calls you to rid yourselves of Al-Lat and Al-Uza and to renounce your allies. He calls you to his innovations and fallacy. Do not listen to him, and do not heed his call. Who is this man following him, Muhammad? And contradicting his words, I asked my father. His uncle, he replied, Abdul Uzza ibn Abdul Mutalib, called Abu Lahab. The Prophet was nevertheless persistent in his mission. He used every opportunity when people came to Mecca for a festivity or pilgrimage to stand before them and call them to Islam. In that way, he called to Islam members of many tribes, presenting to them the guidance and mercy he was to receiving from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. His biographers state that the Prophet, peace be upon him, did not miss a single opportunity to call people to enter the fold of Islam, tribes and individuals alike. He made a particular effort to win over the leading tribal figures who commanded respect. Some of them, albeit just a few, heeded his call and embraced Islam. Siras mentioned the following names, Suwayd ibn Samit, 
a renowned poet from Yathrib. He was famous and very respected, so his fellow tribesmen called him El Kamil, the Perfect. Iyas ibn Muad, a young man from Yathrib, from the tribe of Evs. Abu Zer el Gifari, from the environs of Yathrib, a member of the great El Gifar tribe. Tufail ibn Amr at Dausi, a talented poet and chief of the Daus tribe. Owing to his conversion, the whole tribe subsequently converted to Islam. The Beginnings of Islam in Medina During the pilgrimage season in the eleventh year of the prophethood, July 620 CE, a group of citizens of Yathrib, which is the pre-Islamic name for the city of Medina, met with the Prophet peace be upon him. That season he went to preach to the Arab tribes, as he had done before. And when he was near Aqaba, he encountered a group of people from the tribe of Hazraj from Yathrib. Siras specify that those were six men from the renowned Yathrib families. Esad ibn Zurare and Auf ibn Harith of the Banu Najjar clan, Rafi ibn Malik of the Banu Zuraik clan, Khutba ibn Amir of the Banu Salama clan, Ukba ibn Amir of the Banu Haram clan, and Jabir ibn Abdullah of the Banu Ubaid ibn Ganim clan. When he met them, the Prophet asked them of what tribe they were, of the tribe of Hazraj, they replied. Allies of the Jews, he asked. Yes, they said. The Prophet then asked them to sit down and speak with him. They agreed, and the Prophet called them to worship Allah, preached Islam, and recited some verses of the Quran. It was Allah's mercy and providence that these men listened to the Prophet's address attentively and believed him. This event was crucial for the later developments. One of the reasons why they accepted Islam so soon was something they had heard from their Jewish fellow citizens. The Jews of Yathrib were followers of the divine revelation and possessors of the scriptures, whereas the Hazraj were idol worshippers. The two parties would be in conflict sometimes, and then the Jews would tell them, a messenger of God will soon arise, his time is at hand, and him we follow, and together with him slay you, as Ad and Iram were slain. So as soon as the messenger of God called the Hazraj men to Islam, they told one another, Surely this is the prophet with whom the Yathrib Jews have threatened us. Let them not reach him before us. They heeded his call, promised to believe him, and accept Islam as he would preach it. In the end, they said, We have left behind our people, divided by hatred and rancor, as no other tribe. Perhaps God will reconcile them through you. We will make known and preach to them this religion that we have received from you. If God unites them in it, no man will be more respected than you. They then parted ways with the Prophet and returned to their land as followers of a new religion. In Yathrib they told everyone about the Messenger of God and called people to Islam. 
That news spread fast among the population there. So soon, there was hardly a house in Yathrib not talking about the messenger of God. Peace be upon him. The First Pledge of Aqaba the following year, the twelfth year of the prophethood, that is, in July 621 CE, twelve citizens of Yathrib came for pilgrimage and met with the prophet in Aqaba. That was the so-called first pledge of Aqaba, when these men pledged allegiance, Beya, to the messenger of God, peace be upon him, under the conditions identical to the ones laid down in the pledge of the woman. Bayat and Nisa. All this had happened before fighting was prescribed. The group comprised five men of the previous year. Jabir ibn Abdullah did not come, and Muaz ibn al-Harith, Zekwan ibn Abdul Qais, Ubada ibn al-Samit, Yazid ibn Talib, Abbas ibn Ubada, all of the Hazraj tribe, and Abu Haytham ibn al-Taihan, and Waym ibn Sa'ide the latter two of the Aus tribe. It is transmitted from Ubada ibn al-Samit. I was one of those who took part in the first pledge of Aqaba, Beitul Aqaba al-Ula. There were twelve of us in total. We pledged allegiance to the Prophet in the same manner as women, that is, as women did afterward, when Mecca was liberated. That had been before fighting was prescribed to us. We swore to the following. We will not associate anything with God. We will not steal. We will not commit adultery. We will not kill our children. We will abstain from slander. And we will not disobey him. If you fulfill this pledge, he told us, you will be rewarded with paradise. But if you fail to honor any of its provisions, well, Allah will judge you. He may punish you or forgive you. Ibn Ishaq says, When they parted, the Messenger of God sent with them Musab ibn Umayr, whose task was to recite the verses of the Quran and explain the rules of Islam to them. He was therefore called Al-Mukri in Medina, meaning the Qur'an reciter, or the one before whom the Qur'an is recited. He would lead the prayer because members of the Evs and Hazraj did not want to give each other that precedence. In Medina, Musab ibn Umayr lived in the house of Asad ibn Zurare, and two of them enthusiastically embarked on missionary work. Their greatest success was the conversion to Islam of Usaid ibn Hudayr and Sa'd ibn Muaz, two chiefs from the clan of Banu Abdul Ashal, the leading clan of the Evs tribe. Particularly important was Sa'd's conversion as members of the Banu Abdul Ashal clan, converted to Islam owing to his status and reputation. Siras read that all members of that very powerful and big clan embraced Islam except one man. His name was Amr ibn Thabit, known by the nickname Usairim. However, he converted to Islam later and fell as a martyr in the Battle of Uhud. The Hadith collections carry a very interesting tradition related to him. 
Musa'b ibn Umair stayed in Medina for almost 11 months, during which time many citizens of Medina converted to Islam. He was a tremendously capable and successful missionary, as there was hardly a house in Medina without a convert to Islam. On the eve of the next pilgrimage season, he returned to Mecca to give the Prophet the glad tidings of the spreading of Islam among the citizens of Yathrib, Medina. The Second Pledge of Aqaba in the pilgrimage season of the thirteenth year of the prophethood, or in June 622 CE, a large group of Muslim converts from Yathrib arrived in Mecca. The group comprised 73 men and two women, Umm Umani, Esma bint Amr, and Umm Umare, Nusayba bint Kab, mother of Abdullah ibn Zaid ibn Asim, the companion who transmitted the hadith about the Prophet's ablution. Umm Umara is a famous companion. She participated in many battles and sustained twelve injuries in the Battle of Uhud. Historians note that she was also wounded in the Battle of Yamama against Musaylam al-Kadhab when her hand was cut off. She was also present at Hudaybiyah. This group of Muslims arrived in Mecca with a caravan together with their pagan relatives who came to make the pilgrimage to the Kaaba. The Muslims from Yathrib, including Al-Bara ibn Ma'rur, a respected poet and nobleman, hoped they would meet the Prophet in Mecca. It indeed happened at night and in strict secrecy, at the same place where their twelve fellow citizens had met with the Prophet the year before at Aqaba. The Prophet came accompanied by his uncle Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib. Abbas had not yet entered Islam, but the Prophet nevertheless had great confidence in him. When they were all seated, Abbas was the first one to speak saying how much Muhammad was honored by his people and that he was protected in his land. He stressed that if they wanted the Prophet to join them, they had to be ready to protect and defend him from his enemies. But if you are going to abandon him and fail him after he joins you, you had better leave him now, because he is respected and well defended among his own people and in his own place, said Abbas. Then the Prophet, peace be upon him, spoke. He first recited some verses of the Qur'an, pronounced a summons to Allah and Islam, and then said, Of you I ask a pledge that you would protect me from everything that you protect your wives and children from. This condition is the most important article of the second pledge of Aqaba. In this way, it was guaranteed that the Muslims from Yathrib would provide protection to the Prophet and even go to war, if required, that is, defend the Prophet from his enemies by fighting in organized armed combat. The Muslims from Yathrib agreed to it, and Ubada ibn al-Samit, one of the participants, described what they had committed themselves to on that occasion. We pledged to the Messenger of God, peace be upon him, allegiance in a war. We agreed to unconditional obedience in all circumstances, in good and bad times alike. 
we pledged selflessness, and that we will not usurp anyone's right, that we will speak the truth anytime, anywhere, and that we will not fear anyone's criticism when it comes to Allah. After the Muslims from Yathrib agreed to the sad conditions, the Prophet, peace be upon him, told them to select twelve persons and representatives who would be in charge of the affairs in Yathrib. They conferred and delegated twelve persons, nine from the Hazraj as the larger tribe, and three from the Aus. Sixty-two men and two women of the Hazraj attended the meeting, while only eleven members of the Aus were present. One of the Aus representatives was Usaid ibn Hudayr, whom Sa'd ibn Muaz radiallahu anhu sent as his envoy. In the Islamic literature, these men are known as the Twelve Representatives, or simply the Representatives. It is said in the Sirahs and Hadith collections that Satan made the curse of Allah be with him, la'natullahi alayhi, who was watching the meeting from the top of Aqaba, cried out in the loudest possible voice after the pledge and said, O dwellers of Minna, do you have something for the Mudhamam and the apostates? They have already united against you. Muzamam was a derogatory name that the idol worshippers gave to the Prophet, peace be upon him. It means the reprobate opposite of Muhammad, the priest. The second pledge of Aqaba is an event of exceptional importance. After that pledge, the Prophet ordered the Muslims in Mecca to start emigrating to Yathrib, Medina. They started leaving secretly, in groups, one after another, and that was the beginning of the Hijra, one of the most significant events in the history of Islam. The Prophet remained in Mecca for some time, waiting for the permission by the exalted Allah to move to Medina himself. Soon afterward, he was allowed to do so. The First Muslims' Readiness for Sacrifice After the second pledge of Aqaba, which happened in the pilgrimage season of the thirteenth year of the prophethood, which corresponds to June 622 CE, the Prophet, peace be upon him, ordered his followers in Mecca to start moving to Medina. That event marked the beginning of the Hijra. The Muslims from Mecca started moving out secretly, leaving behind their wealth, houses, shops, and real estates, thus demonstrating that their religion was more important to them than anything else. That required an enormous personal sacrifice and strength of faith, and it is not at all easy to leave one's house, estate, and homeland and venture into the unknown. The first Muslims demonstrated an exceptional readiness for sacrifice for the faith and the Sirah's cite very interesting examples of it. The first person who emigrated to Medina was Abu Salama ibn Abdul Asad from the tribe of Banu Mahzum. He had left for Medina a year before the second pledge of Aqaba. At that time, he had returned from Abyssinia to Mecca, but he suffered much harassment by Quraysh. So, as he heard that there were Muslims in Yathrib, Medina too, he left Mecca soon afterward for Medina. 
He took along his wife, Ummu Salama, and son, but his in-laws caught up with them and kidnapped his wife and child. So he went to Medina on his own. After his departure, Ummu Salama used to climb on a hillock every day and cry there from morning to night. That lasted for a while until her relatives took pity on her and allowed her to join her husband if she wished. Ummu Salama traveled alone with her child the 500 kilometers to Medina. It was only when, when she reached the place of Tanim within Medina's reach that she encountered a companion who escorted her to her final destination. The example of Abu Salama and Ummu Salama is indeed a good example of genuine readiness for self-sacrifice on the path of attaining God's pleasure and favor. Sirah authors cite other examples too. Suhaib al-Rumi had spent his childhood as a captive in the hands of the Byzantines, whereby he was nicknamed al-Rumi, that is, the Byzantine, and was later sold to Mecca as a slave. When he wanted to emigrate, Quraysh told him, You had come to us as a beggar, and it was here that you settled and became rich, yet you would leave now and take your wealth away. By God, it will not be, Suhaib told them. And if I left all my wealth to you, would you then let me go away? Yes, answered they, and he said, I am leaving my wealth to you. When the news reached the Prophet, he exclaimed, Suhaib is the winner. The migration was being carried out gradually and clandestinely with Umar radiallahu anhu being the only one who did it publicly. He dressed in his combat attire, belted on his sword, and said, Whoever wishes his mother to mourn him or his children to be orphaned, let him stand before me. The following lesson may be drawn from his attitude. When a believer is confident about his strength, he should not hide his actions, but many demonstrate them publicly, disregarding his voice, as long as he is sure he can prevail. That was exactly what Omar radiallahu anhu did when setting out to Medina. His action shows that a vigorous and resolute conduct instills fear in the hearts of the enemies of God. They could have killed Umar, of course, but his resolute attitude instilled fear in each and every one of them, so they dared not expose themselves to the risk that might have turned out fatal for them. This shows that villains do fear for their lives. Two months and few days after the second pledge of Aqaba, the only remaining Muslims in Mecca were the messenger of God peace be upon him, Abu Bakr, Ali ibn Abi Talib, and some Muslims whom the idol worshippers had prevented from leaving and held by force. Abu Bakr and Ali stayed because the Prophet ordered them so. Abu Bakr was to be the Prophet's travel companion, and Ali was to stay behind in Mecca to give back the goods that many people had deposited with the Prophet for safekeeping. Meanwhile, the emigrants who had been in Abyssinia started returning and moving to Medina. The Messenger of God, peace be upon him, prepared his luggage, awaiting the order to leave Mecca.